Welcome back to the program. This is your host, Blackstone Joe, and I'm back behind the mic for episode 63, titled Rules to Live By. First off, I wanted to give a shout out to all the folks that offered such wonderful feedback with episode 62. That was called Cooling Down, and to be honest, I had a little internal anxiety about how that might be received because it was a very technical episode. I was definitely taking you all back in the classroom for you know, a rather in-depth talk about testing and how we do it and what certain values and results mean. And, you know, sometimes I do have to remind myself that this is an oil analysis podcast. So if you're into that niche of a topic, then it stands to reason that occasionally you wouldn't mind going in depth with a topic like that. Nevertheless, it was great to hear that so many of you enjoyed it. Today, though, I wanted to break down some rules to live by. These are rules that kind of just popped up over the course of answering phone calls, writing reports, uh, you know, talking to customers on the phone, really everything that's involved in the course of an analyst's workday, just coming across different areas where if you know what to do, um, you know, whether it's filling out your slip and you're an aircraft customer, or whether you are someone who has taken a sample and it's been a long time and you aren't sure if it's still valid or how you should respond to certain results, if you have these in mind when you're ready to send in a sample and then when we send the report back to you, I think it can make a lot of the information easier to understand and can also ease your mind um, about the results and whether or not they would be skewed in any particular way. So I'm going to get right into them. The first is for aircraft customers specifically. Know your tail number and write your tail number. Um, on the slip when you send in a sample. I'm sure this is going to be obvious to a lot of you, but I've been doing this long enough and have written enough aircraft reports um, that I've seen that's not necessarily something that's known to all. So in order to help aircraft customers out, especially those that are new to the game, or maybe you recently acquired an aircraft and you're not sure how to go about the clerical details on a slip, tail numbers are so important because we use them to track history. You know, we love our unit IDs. We love the creativity that goes along with them. In fact, stick around after the main show here. I'm going to list my favorite unit ID of the week. I'm going to get back to doing that because I really do appreciate all the creativity that goes into them. But back to the topic here, for aircraft customers, we rely on those unit IDs to track your history, keep all the reports for an engine in one place, because in no other area, I don't think, is maintenance so important as it is with an aircraft. With gas diesel engines, you know, the automotive world, a lot of folks just don't keep track of their history in the same manner. Now, we will combine history if you buy or you sell an engine that has long sample history. You know, we'll be happy to transfer that too if you aren't aircraft, but specifically for aircraft, we want that tail number. It makes it so much easier to have your sample history all in one place. And that way, you know, if you're a new owner, you don't even have to ask for that history to be transferred over. It's part of the process when we get an aircraft that we are starting a new client page for. We want to first see, do we have any existing history? So be sure to provide that tail number if you're an aircraft customer. 
use that creativity, that personality for a unit ID belonging to really anything other than an aircraft because that's where it's appreciated and that's where it's very much welcome. We do appreciate anytime you are able to let us know a bit more about the vehicle. You know, a unit ID can really add some helpful context about what it's being used for, something that I rely on. You know, we want any possible details we can get. You know, I had a listener of the program on our survey, which by the way, that link on SurveyMonkey is still open if you want to provide any sort of content, uh, suggestions, ideas, things you want to hear on the show. I had someone mention uh, that they wanted to hear more about sleuthing and they want to have us dig into more stories where we had to go looking for the answers. Maybe we didn't have any. And part of the sleuthing process is definitely taking things into account like the unit ID. You know, often a nickname will tell you if a car is apt to be used um, at the track or, you know, if autocross is a fact of life or if it's a car that's naturally going to be candidate for modifications. Uh, we use things like unit ID in those instances and understand, hey, uh, so we don't have a lot of notes on the slip about what's being asked of this engine, but based on uh, the unit ID here, we have a good idea uh, that this is probably a modified uh, Subaru, not just stock, or maybe we're looking at a truck that is obviously, you know, if it has farm truck in the unit ID, then we know right away that it's probably spending a lot of time hauling, probably spending a lot of time idling. You know, these are things we take into account when we don't have all the details handy. So A, include your unit ID always, and B, if it's an aircraft customer, that unit ID is easy. It's just the tail number. And we'll go from there as far as providing the best analysis possible. It's all about having that tail number on hand. Next up, a sample is valid for testing as long as it's been stored correctly. So what we run into every now and again, and I would say even just for me, one of the analysts in the building, I probably write at least one report a week for a customer that's had a sample sitting for a long time. Uh, by long time, I would say anything over three to six months, uh, Qualifies as a while, I, I think, in the minds of a lot of customers, too. And it's really not unusual to see a sample that's been sitting for a couple years, even. So it stands to reason, especially if you're new to this, that that sample might not necessarily uh, be valid for testing. So I want to put the minds at ease here. If this is an oil that has been sitting in the garage for a while, don't worry about it because oil will hold everything in suspension that we test for. You know, metals aren't going to suddenly be lower than they otherwise would be if the oil's been sitting. Additives won't look unusual. You won't suddenly have a result that looks like contamination, but it's not. You know, there's nothing about oil that after having sat will suddenly make it invalid for testing so if you took a sample a while ago and you think ah blackstone doesn't want it this is you know irrelevant to them that's not true and if you're someone who's really good about sampling consistently and you have this annoying blank spot in your file where you had oil sitting and then uh well i forgot to send it 
please do send it. You know, it can shed light on maybe a sudden change in wear trends or it can let us know that, hey, your engine really started to wear differently a few years back. And now we have this sample to tell us, you know, where that turning point was. Was it related to contamination? Was there something going on uh, with oil filtration? You know, having that blank spot filled in is only going to help your trends and let us know more about what was going on during a particular point in time. And when I started off this section, I was mentioning, you know, as long as it's stored correctly. So a bit about that, you just want to have in a sealed container, okay? So whether that is our sample bottle or a bottle of your own, it needs to be sealed up tight. So we don't want moisture from the atmosphere to get in there or any other outside contaminants. So if it's in a sealed container, you can consider that oil good to go. So any samples sitting in the garage, send them in. Doesn't matter how long it's been. I was just looking at a sample from an ISL, an ISL 8.9 liter. I think this is kind of what spurred this particular segment of rules to live by because it was a it was an ISL 8.9 where the oil I know it had to be sitting at least a year, maybe two, based on the customer's notes. And sure enough, there's nothing about it. You know, I could have been looking at a sample taken a week ago, and they would have been objectively the same in the sense that, you know, we're not seeing anything odd about metals suddenly looking different than usual. We aren't looking at, you know, additive levels that are out of whack or, or a viscosity that was suddenly out of whack. The oil will maintain the viscosity while sitting and it will not solidify or or have a lot of insolubles suddenly show up that's not going to be a concern either so no matter what if it's been sealed up tight you can put calendar time aside when you're thinking about if you can send in a sample next up i want to talk about viscosity this is a result for many people that won't necessarily end up in spec or in the expected range, especially on someone's first sample. You know, if they've been a, uh, a recent buyer of a car or, you know, and this applies to, you know, it being factory oil or it being their first sample from a used car. It's not uncommon for the viscosity to be a little out of spec. And I also want to break down a few instances Aside from just being, you know, the first sample or really any time where this can happen because it's just not unusual. And I want to kind of reassure folks of why it's not the concern that for a lot of people it ends up being. So first, a new engine. If you have a new engine and the viscosity is not quite in the expected range, like, you know, the, the weight that's in the manual, it's really not uncommon for that factory oil to be thinner, especially in the case of like an engine, say the spec oil is 530, really not uncommon to see it measure a bit thinner, like a 520, 0 020 range. And I think that just might be part of the break-in process for certain manufacturers. Or if you're someone who, you know, you've recently bought a car and you're like, well, the owner said it was, you know, blank weight and your first sample ends up being a little thicker or a little thinner. Well, there are some engines that can harmlessly shear the oil and harmless is really the key word. So it's a breakdown of viscosity improving additives and 
despite the sound of words like shearing or breakdown, a low viscosity that is unrelated to excess fuel, it's really not going to be the result that suddenly impacts the wear profile. We won't suddenly start seeing excess wear and engines that are known to shear the oil down. Like a common one I brought up on the program before is a 6.0 power stroke, but there's also like the 2.0 liter TSI. A smaller turbocharged engines, it's really common to see the viscosity end up a bit thinner. So if you are the, you know, the the new owner of a car and you aren't really used to finding out where that viscosity ends up, A, it could be an engine that harmlessly shears it. B, maybe you bought the car from someone, you put in 530, and maybe they were running an oil a bit thicker or a bit thinner, and carryover could have skewed your viscosity a little bit. And of course, there are additives that can throw this off too. You know, if you're running Lucas, that can harmlessly thicken the oil up. It's not the only additive that can do that though. So if we note a viscosity and we don't make much of it, or if we come right out and say, don't worry about it, or it's not a concern, we're only saying that if the rest of the report looks great. We're not just tossing that out. Uh, That is backed by how the engine is wearing. That is backed by whether or not a high or low viscosity could be related to contamination. You know, we're always going to look for possible explanations. Um, I talked about additives other than Lucas uh, playing a role in this. And one of those would be like a flush. If you add a flush right before an oil change, you can drop viscosity and also the flashpoint, usually the flashpoint more so. But I have seen instances where a low viscosity coincides with a low vis, low flash. So a lot of possible explanations. And if it doesn't necessarily meet a spec, we're going to consider what could be going on. Is this a candidate for shearing? Is it possible that, hey, I mean, you're the first, you're the new owner. Is it factory oil that tends to skew a bit thinner? Is it possible the last owner was using a grade that could have impacted this viscosity? There's a lot to take into account, and we're going to do as much as we can, and we're never going to label a viscosity as a concern or not unless we have really taken into account how the rest of the engine looks. So. Don't sweat it, especially if we don't. Uh, We're never going to be careless about results like that and whether or not you should be concerned about it in the long run. That wraps up today's Rules to Live By. You know, an episode like this is certainly not meant to be comprehensive. I'm kind of getting the ball rolling, and I'll revisit more of these as time goes on. If you're itching for more right away, I'd go check out our frequently asked questions on our website. Our vice president, Kristen, wrote it up, and it's it's a gem um, of rules to live by, uh, especially in terms of what you should do when you're sampling, what you should expect, you know, if you're waiting for your sample to arrive and you're, you know, kind of wondering if something might be going on with it, kind of gives you a checklist of, of things to do before assuming that uh, that it's sitting on Blackstone grounds and, and just not being tested. There, there's, there's a lot to consider when you're sampling, especially if you're new, and our Frequently Asked Questions page is, is a good companion piece to this, I think. But I, I did try today to approach areas that aren't directly... Uh, directly noted there so we're going to you know give you more 
So going to add more rules in the future. None of these are rules with steep penalties or fines. Um, but I do think they'll make life easier when you're thinking about sending in a sample, when you're wondering what to do with certain results that aren't quite in your expectations. I think it'll help you sleep easier at night, uh, especially some customers who are new to the game. All right, as promised, I want to break down a unit ID that I loved recently. So earlier I mentioned aircraft. Unfortunately, you know, aircraft customers miss out on creative unit IDs, but just start sampling something other than aircraft and you can get in on the fun. Specifically, this engine, which was called Patriot Thunder, is a cat diesel. So shout out to the owner. Um, if, if you gave your cat diesel the nickname Patriot Thunder, I won't dox you on this podcast, but I did want to mention that I love the UNID. So did my co-producer, Josh. He was the one that made me aware of it. So Patriot Thunder is great. Uh, and for me, it's because it just instantly brings to mind like several different movies. Um, some of you are probably going to assume Mel Gibson's The Patriot, which, you know, I'm probably embarrassed to say how many times I've seen it. That came to mind for me, too. But the first one, I think the one that's kind of like the most Blackstone adjacent is uh, Thunder Road, which is a 1958 crime drama starring Robert Mitchum. Thunder Road is a is a uh, movie that I remember watching or hearing about when I was little. And then um, I actually revisited it recently. and. It's a really fun time, just about a, a Korean War veteran running bootleg moonshine in Kentucky and Tennessee in the late 50s. And you can tell it's uh, it's not exactly a refined product. It's rough around the edges, uh, just like uh, just like the main character, just like the subject matter. And the reason I say it's kind of Blackstone adjacent is because in this film, you know, and, and as Probably a lot of you know, and when it came to the business of running moonshine, you had to have a souped up engine, something that was capable of easily escaping law enforcement. And I don't know if there's a company quite like ours that comes across as many souped up engines, you know? I mean, it's, it's just uh, makes sense. We go hand in hand. People want to modify their engines and they need to see how the engines are handling it. So naturally, we have quite a bit of interaction with those folks. And so it makes sense to offer a movie suggestion that would go along those same lines. So yeah, check out Thunder Road. It's only an hour and a half and it has a lot of great car chases and just, uh, I don't know, it might be nostalgic for some of you if you have family that was in the business um, at one point in time. Shout out to Patriot Thunder. Shout out to Thunder Road. This brings episode 63 to a close. Thanks for listening.